0: Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com. I'm Gina Anderson Cohen. With me, I have Kristen Geil and Maggie Umberger. Morning, Gina. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. Kristen, you spoke with the founders of Stylisted in a live podcast during Sweatworking Week, and it was actually our first time ever having two guests on the show. I did. I spoke
1: with Julia and Lauren and learned a lot about their partnership I got to talk to them about how it grew from an idea they had in business school to a business that is now five years in the making and still going strong. These two women
0: are so strong in different ways, and that's why they're a great partnership, but they had really cool and separate takeaways of how to advise the crowd and and all of us at home uh, to start a business if they are passionate about something or to go after a goal. Yeah.
1: I think there are two main things that I learned from them here. The first was don't be afraid to ask for help and remember that people want to help you. I think it was Lauren who said that your ability to ask for help and leave your shame at the door is really all you have for the first two years because you don't have any money. You don't have any experience. You're really relying on the goodwill of others to help you grow your business. And luckily, she mentioned that the entrepreneurial community is very supportive and most people will go out to coffee with you and are willing to give you their advice and maybe provide or at least connect you to the services that you know you need extra help with. The other big thing that they both agreed on was, while it's important early on to make sure that you share the same long-term goals and visions, you kind of have to put that to the side and really focus more on the short-term, achievable, bite-sized goals so that you do feel like you're actually accomplishing something on a day-to-day basis instead of setting this big lofty goal of, well, we want to sell the company within 10 years. What am I going to do today to get closer towards that goal? It's much better to focus on the short-term day-to-day. We want to have a thousand customers by the end of the month type of goals.
0: And as they sort of worked against those short-term and long-term goals, they also empowered others and created this new revenue source for this whole new audience. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So one of the reasons that they started Stylisted in the first place was
1: from Julia's perspective of having come from the cosmetics industry. She knew that there were always makeup artists and hairstylists looking for extra income, freelancing, as you will, in the beauty industry. And they realized after a while of working on this company that they were actually really empowering these women to make full-time careers out of what had previously been a side hustle. They spoke about having women ask them their income so they could apply for apartments and really being astonished at the numbers that their contractors are pulling in and how motivating that was help seeing that they were empowering other women to achieve their goals and how that
0: helped them focus on their current goals. And here is Kristen with Lauren and Julia. Here yeah, I said be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not Alright, welcome
1: to the We Got Goals podcast live edition from Sweat Working Week. My name is Kristen Guile. I am sitting here with Julia and Lauren from Stylisted. Hi guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. We're excited to hear everything that you have to say. So let's start from the beginning. The story of how you guys came to be is more than just you saw a problem and you worked to create a solution. It's also about the two of you coming together with your unique strengths to make an idea into a reality. Can you guys share your origin story with us?
2: Sure. Sure. It was Lauren's brainchild, so I'll let her tell the tale. Yeah.
3: So, you know, for us, Stylisted was very much born from a personal pain point. We were inspired by a professor who told us to start what we know. We had both just uh, moved to Chicago to attend business school, and we were both entrepreneurial. We had always wanted to start a business. And we had kicked around a bunch of ideas, but this start what you know concept, which seems so obvious to us now, was kind of a novel idea. We had these ideas that had nothing to do with our experience or expertise. And after many failed attempts to get my makeup done before a friend's wedding, all coming to a head at a wedding that I had in Atlanta, I called Julia and I said, why is it so difficult to find out who's good and who's available when it comes to event prep? I want to get my makeup done or my hair done, but I don't know who's in my area who can do a great job. And she completely commiserated, shared her own uh, failed attempts, and also kind of educated me on this call and told me about the life of the freelance makeup artist. She had worked directly with makeup artists in her time at NARS Cosmetics before business school and understood their pain points, that they work at some salon or cosmetic counter only to be told how much how many hours they can work and when, and to give 50% to the salon owner, and they want to freelance more to supplement their income, but they can't find clients. So, Julia's experience and my experience really came together. It was the perfect marriage, and we decided to
2: build a solution.
1: And how did Stylisted start? I know you didn't come up with an app right off the bat.
2: No, it was incredibly manual. We took a PowerPoint deck and I reached out to makeup artists and hairstylists that I knew from my previous position. I told them about the idea. We got validation that they wanted what we were proposing to build and got them to send little bios, photos of their work. And we created this PDF deck and started sending it to all of our friends who were getting married, who had business school formals, interviews, things like that, anything you could think of where you'd want a blowout or you know full on makeup for you and your friends. And people were being very receptive to it and they liked the idea and they started asking to book people and the stylists were getting excited about it. So that was our absolutely free way of starting the business and beginning to test it out. And then you saw that there was a demand for these
1: services and you moved forward with creating an app from there.
2: A website, yes. Website first. We scraped together our pennies and decided to hire someone. Actually, it was like a godsend. Lauren met our CTO advisor, um, our technical advisor, at an internship, and he recommended this guy to us who needed to diversify his portfolio. He had been doing political websites in DC. We we're like, we have a doozy for you. <laughs> We're going to have build something build beauty website. Yeah. And he did it for a few thousand dollars and a lot of hours and sweat. And we spent our Christmas vacation, our second year of business school, just working on the website and iterating. And then we launched essentially when we graduated. Wow. That's a lot to accomplish while you're still in business school and dealing with all of that course load. Yes, it is. But we... At Chicago Booth, we did the New Venture Challenge, which essentially was a class that allowed us to grow and cultivate this business and test it out and get feedback. So I would argue that it's easier to do it in business school than it would be for someone with a full-time job, family, things like that. We were very much in a position to take the risk and spend the time. And because you guys were in this together from the start, you
1: had that advantage of having someone to lean on when things got tough, sleepless nights, I'm sure, countless hours spent trying to accomplish just one thing. We've all heard about accountability as a strategy for going after your goals, but you take it to a new level when you're talking about starting a company with a partner and a co-founder. So how do you think that partnership
3: has impacted your business and how you guys approach goals as a team? I mean, the, the partnership is our business. It was at the very beginning and it is to this day. You know, for us, and I, I said this before, I, it almost felt like a game of chicken at the beginning where we would bounce an idea or like, something we're gonna do off the other person and say like, I'm gonna email so-and-so, like five women's groups this week and see what they say. And once you say it out loud and you commit to that person you're gonna do that, then they also feel like they have to do something and you're kind of like, okay, and then after a while, you're like, we're doing this. Like we are building towards beginning a business. So that was kind of the origin. and. Um, you know, to this day we keep ourselves accountable and it's, it's been almost five years. It's yeah. very much like a marriage. You hope that you grow together and thankfully we have. But I think in terms of goals, you know, I think we think about goals in terms of short term and long term. And I think it's really important early on to make sure that you have the same long term goals or vision, but to spend most of your time and your energy on those short term goals to make this feel digestible and something that you can actually accomplish. So instead of saying, I'm gonna sell this business in five years and and that be your primary objective, say, okay, we're gonna have 1,000 customers by January or we're gonna, you know, what are those smaller chunks of short-term goals that you can actually accomplish? You know, it's like saying, if you like wanna start going to the gym, you're not gonna say, I wanna look like a babe by summer. You're gonna say, okay, no, I'm gonna start going to the gym every three months or, you know, start drinking more water. Like, What are those really small, shorter-term goals that you can actually achieve?
1: Speaking of goals, on the podcast we ask everyone who comes on two main questions, so let's get into the first one. What is one big goal that you've accomplished with Stylisted?
2: Why was it important? How did you get there? And it can be the same or different for both of you. I want to say just existing to this day <laughs> has been the goal. I think from the beginning there are a few things you want to accomplish you want to solve a problem you want to help people in our case the women like us the clients with this pain point and the stylists who now we have men and women who've doubled their income by working on stylisted and it's amazing to send out the w9s holy cow she made this much that year and lauren's so much more in those weeds that when i get to see it i'm like whoa that's so great Right, and people applying
3: for apartments are emailing us, asking them, how much did I make this year? And then we're like, oh, wow, you made $30,000
2: last year. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. amazing. Um, um, so, yeah, you, there are a lot of different goals that we had when we started it. And, you know, we're kind of checking them off. And obviously... We won't sit here and say that a lucrative exit wouldn't be the absolute, you know, wonderful end goal or what we've always said is the company, you know, outgrowing the two of us and how can we work with someone larger to continue to grow stylisted and, you know, make it the best it can be. Yeah, I mean, we're here four and a half years later and I'm just so proud of, of that. Which, I mean, that's not a great answer. Sorry. <laughs> it's a great
3: answer. It's, it's a great answer. Lauren, would you agree or
2: do you have yeah, anything else?
3: My answer is similar. I like that I created a job for myself that actually now has a paycheck and insurance, health insurance, and that we've created that for other people, jobs that they really like, that you know they're excited to show up to work every day for. And that's really um, a huge, that was a huge goal for us at the onset and we've accomplished that.
1: Yeah, you can tell that you've really made a tangible impact on these people's lives, the freelancers that you employ through Stylisted. Has that sort of affected how you look towards the future, knowing that you're to thank and sort of responsible for these people
2: and how their lives proceed from here? Absolutely, it's it's a lot of pressure, but in a good way. I think it helps keep us motivated towards those goals because we are a small internal team, but we have you know nearly 300 stylists who depend on us for their supplemental income. And it's very much a symbiotic relationship. We work really hard for them every single day so that when they go to a client, they want to work really hard for us, for the brand. And I think so far that's working out. So we'll get back to Lauren, Julia,
4: and Kristen in just a minute. But first, we want to thank our sponsor this week, Chicago Sport and Social Club. With them, it's more than a game. It's a social sports experience. Whatever your personal goals are, big or small, Chicago Sport and Social Club can list many reasons why you should play. It could be the sand between your toes or meeting people and moving your social life outside for a season. Whatever your goals are or your reasons for playing, Chicago Sport and Social Club has a beach volleyball league for you. Go to www.chicagosocial.com and use code GOALS, that's G-O-A-L-S, when you register to get 5% off. That code expires March 15th. I read an interview
1: that you guys did. I'm not sure when it was from, but I think you said something about the importance of having a short-term memory when it comes to achieving goals. Can you sort of share what you meant by that with the group and how it goes into you know accomplishing one thing and then moving on to the
3: next? one thing that we try to do is celebrate really small wins but then not allow ourselves to get too hung up because you need to move on to the next small win there are so many setbacks when you're starting a business and running a business and you can't really let yourself get in too much of a funk about anything negative you have to move forward celebrate the small wins as they come even if they feel really small because that kind of thing will just like allow you to feel your progress and allow you to wake up the next morning and do it again. What kind of small wins for examples that you guys celebrated
2: back in the early days or even still today? Oh, like a celebrity booking us, mm-hmm. that's always fun. I mean, hitting a new number, like a weekend where we have you know, dozens and dozens of weddings. Like, oh, I can't believe we're doing this. Things like that, they're just special for me. Or those moments where you do see how it's impacting the freelancers and when they send a little note of gratitude or something like that. It's so small, but that's like the cool stuff that, that we love. Even seeing a five-star review from a client, we look at that stuff all the time and it means so much when you know, we know that they're getting great service and we're really proud of the brands that we've built and what we're putting out there.
1: Does it get a little bit sweeter being able to celebrate those hitting those small
3: goals with a partner and a friend? absolutely absolutely and it works both ways the good and the bad yeah (laughs) to have somebody to share that with is just necessary yeah it takes a little bit of the burden off you yes i know that with a
1: startup setting realistic goals can be tricky because on the one hand you want to reach for the stars and change the world or change people's lives but on the other you don't always have a full picture of the data that you're working with or your customer base especially early on when you're still sort of experimenting and navigating the new platform that you're creating. How was your goal setting at Stylisted impacted by those unknown factors? And how were you able to overcome that?
3: Yeah, this kind of goes back to something I touched on earlier, but just starting small, setting really small digestible goals for yourself. You don't have to know everything. Take what you know and try to act accordingly. So your goal can be super small. Like I'm gonna email five media outlets today or this week and you know i'm going to aim to get a response from at least one of them to have at least one brand placement you know you don't have to have all the answers to do something like that and i think it's important to never use not having the answers as an excuse to not act
2: yeah i would also say find the data somewhere you can and we i mean coming from booth that was necessary like well we would tell all of these teachers and advisors excuse me, professors, we, you know, this doesn't exist, so how are we gonna tell you how big the market is? And simply they wouldn't take that for an answer. You go out there, look into the beauty market, tell us what the salon industry size is, whittle that down to what you think, you know, how many women who go to the salon would wanna take it in home, how many women are going to a makeup counter, things like that, and then start with an MVP and see what actually happens and get that small sample pool and use that. And that's kind of what we had to do. And that's, I think, what every entrepreneur has to do because you're gonna be convincing a lot of people that your idea is something, that you have something here with nothing to fall back on, especially without a track record, especially as women. And we needed numbers to back us up and not just two women saying, you know, we have a lot of events and we really want this, this and we think all our huge. friends do so like get on board it wasn't enough so you find it you figure out a way to find it
1: I did an interview with someone who works with entrepreneurs recently and he said the two biggest qualities he tended to see over and over again in successful entrepreneurs was tenacity and being comfortable with the unknown and working with that every day. And it sounds like that's something you guys have navigated really well over the past five
2: years. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. we've tried.
3: You're kind of chipping away at the unknown and in a way you're helped by having limited resources, in our case, no money, because (laughs) I feel that when some people have unlimited funding, they go right to the solution and they, you know, spend thousands or millions of dollars on building what they believe to be the right solution instead of really focusing initially on the problem and figuring out what the right solution is. So we've iterated and our platform has changed and our processes have changed, our infrastructure has changed. All of that has changed because we couldn't just jump at building that million dollar platform right off the gate.
1: At a sweat life, one of our favorite sayings is, everything is better with friends. And I was really struck by your all's partnership because you weren't afraid to ask for help from each other or from outside people. And I think that's something that we struggle with a lot because you don't wanna appear weak or like you don't know what you're doing. What advice would you give to women who have big goals for this year, for the future, and want to enlist their friends' talents and support in
2: trying to achieve those? I I think people want to help is the first thing. Mm -hmm. We have asked for so much help over the past four or five years and everyone is eager to in a way you know show off what they're good at and help you out when you ask for someone's advice they're flattered it's a it's a good thing to be asked for help so definitely don't be afraid of that and at the same time you know be careful who you align yourself with you want someone who truly is there to support you you don't want someone who's Going to knock down your ideas, or you know, be in competition with you. It's hard to it's hard to find what we have. I feel very very lucky, and I think that everyone can do it. But you really have to be careful in picking that counterpart. And so many times in the beginning, we had people say, you know, why are you doing this with your friends? You you guys, it's not going to end well. And here we are. (laughs) We're still going. Totally. I'm Lauren's maid of honor in April. She is. She is. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. You guys you are going to look beautiful, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes,
3: People. You guys are going to have the
2: best
1: hair and makeup in the business exactly. that day. I That's hope, the hope so. <laughs> what was an example of a time where you
3: think remember having to ask for help, either from each other or from an outside source? I mean, your ability to ask for help and leave your shame at the door is all you have in the first, I would say, two years. You don't have money, you don't have any experience, and you just have to continually put yourself out there and ask people for help and admit when you don't know something and empower people that do know that thing that you don't know to tell you what they know. And the entrepreneurial community is very supportive. People like talking about themselves. We're here today to talk about ourselves. Anybody will grab coffee with you, lunch with you, and you just have to
2: ask. Yeah, it it was everything. I mean, we didn't, specifically, we didn't have... Any technological background so to to find someone to build the website to then hire our CTO I mean it all hinged on Lauren's relationship with her former employer who you know we ruthlessly asked look at this resume I mean it was true like you're running your own business but hang on can we have two hours of your day to go through all these people we're thinking about hiring and check this code is it right because we had no idea so yeah. i mean you you have to that's yeah. a big one
3: i definitely early on went way outside of my comfort zone and what i was comfortable with in terms of asking people for help but you have to do it and without it you really you don't have much
1: yeah i've heard it gets lonely at the top for entrepreneurs when they're
2: not asking for help or when they don't have a co-founder to lean on. Yeah, for, I, I can imagine. I don't know how you'd do it truly. Because with all the positive, you do have so much negative, so many no's, so many hard days, and we've just found a balance where one person is in the pits, and the other one is like, get up, and you can do this, and it's gonna be okay, and you, just, you need that. I don't know how you do it alone. I commend anyone who can do it alone, but I could never. How do you find that
1: you two have complemented each other over the years, whether it's in your skill set or your personality, different aspects that work well together and have let you pursue this for the past five years?
2: I, I think our roles kind of naturally carved out. Um, I'm more in the day-to-day weeds. My team does customer service, and I work closely with the stylist. That was in my background. I came from PR. I had the relations with the um, relationships with the makeup artist and hairstylist, and... Lauren is much more, like, paranoid, The big picture. She's the big picture yeah. person, the back office gal. Yeah. Um, she does all the stuff I would hate to do. <laughs> yes. But I think she likes to do it. She does our Me product too. roadmaps and all the big stuff. And I kind of get in the weeds and we sort of pull each other out of those places from time to time to check in.
3: I would say Julia is generally a more positive person, and that certainly uh, benefits us because she's the voice of Stylisted, she's the one emailing customers and stylists, and it comes through. I mean, Julia's emails are like the stuff of legends. In business school, people would forward like her emails on to friends at home, like, listen to this girl, she's hilarious, and it's kind of like, you know, become a big part of Stylisted, and... I can be a little more pessimistic and that benefits us in a way in terms of just making sure that like I'm always preventing us from the next disaster and that's kind of how it shakes out.
2: Yeah. Thank goodness.
1: It works out perfectly. It sounds like. The second big question we ask everyone on the podcast is what's a big goal that you want to accomplish for Stylisted in the future and what steps do you plan on taking to get there?
2: Do you want to begin this one?
3: Yeah. I mean a big... Dream for me is for a stylist to outgrow us. I always wanna be a part of it, but I want it to become unmanageable for the, for the two of us. And we're getting there, but we're still, you know, very much involved and capable of what we have going on. And that comes in the form of an exit? An exit or, you know, just some sort of strategic partnership.
2: Yeah, I second that. I mean, that's the dream. We're in four cities right now. I think we would like to be in about 52 um, in the next handful of years. And we have a, a lot of growing to do. So the goals are easy. We, we have many of them. But it's just to continue to do what we love, to continue to love what we do, and to grow the business every day.
1: What's next for Style listed and where can people
2: find it online on the App Store? Give us a plug. We are in Chicago, New York, LA, and DC. We're staying put for now. You can find us on iOS and Android, Stylisted, and at www.stylisted.com. And anything exciting coming up in the pipeline? We just revamped
3: our entire website. Nice. And now it is very easy to find the best fit stylist for your unique needs on initial search. Sounds so like a great go check it experience. Out.
1: Yes, it is. Much improved, yes. Awesome. Well, congratulations on everything you guys have accomplished in the last five years. It was awesome getting to hear from you. We'll wrap it up right now, but I think we'll take time for a couple of questions from the audience. If anyone has some, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, thanks for joining us today. for our lunch and learn. Um, so on-demand beauty is kind of becoming a little bit of a trend. What do you think differentiates stylistic from some of the other products out there, sure. apps
3: out there? So I would say that we are uniquely not on-demand. Our concept is way more of a marketplace. So if you think of like the on-demand example as being Uber, we're more of a marketplace like an Airbnb. And we firmly believe, and as have always believed, even before all these on-demand beauty companies started popping up, that this is an industry that really can't and shouldn't be commoditized. Um, You can't really just have someone random dispatched to your door. Women really care about who they're hiring. Women have different hair textures, skin tones, aesthetics, and we really want the women, our clients, to be able to choose the stylist that's best fit for her unique needs.
2: My question is uh, about your um, when you were developing your MVP and how how did you decide what features to have on your initial website considering that you're providing a product that's kind of a more upscale product and what were really the demands of the, your customers and how did you deal with the customer satisfaction considering you have like a pretty basic like mvp platform yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? no it definitely does we i think we started by listing all our hopes and dreams on what we wanted the website to entail and then it took our first um, tech guy to say, I can do this and I can't do that at all, like geolocation, something like that. We really wanted to you know, be able to see where the stylist was in relation to the client and things like that were, you know, you're not gonna get this for a couple thousand dollars. Um, so we had to whittle it down from that big wish list to the visuals. We wanted clients to be able to see photos of the work Reviews we wanted our clients to be able to leave reviews for their stylists and for peers to see What other women were saying about this stylist and then information we always wanted the client to be educated on her hire Um, Where were they trained? What products did they use? Who are you inviting into your house? It's a very personal experience they're in your home and they're in your face and Mm -hmm. and your business and you might be in a bathrobe Mm -hmm. So you want someone you feel really really comfortable with yeah, start
3: super basic and build from there, because you might think you know what you're building, but you really have to start to test your assumptions. And I think like a key like example of that for us, we thought that the biggest and really only pain point for our stylists was that they had trouble effectively marketing themselves. They wanted to freelance, but they either couldn't build a website, or if they could build a website, they couldn't get people to know their website existed. But what we've learned over time is that an equally important pain point for them is that they're creative people who don't necessarily have the stomach for the admin burden associated with being their own micro enterprise. So a lot of the features we ended up building were around that. How do we help them with scheduling? How do we make sure that we're taking on the entire customer service burden? How do we facilitate payment you know, flawlessly? All of these things that if we had, you know, gone ahead and built that, you know, million-dollar website off the bat, we would have totally missed. Um, so start small.
2: Thank you. Sure.
3: So I feel like you have a lot of opportunities for empowering lower-income women and educating them on different things. Do you see anything like bringing education to it to
2: help people feel like they can, they're capable of doing this if they didn't think so otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something we've talked about doing master classes and things like that we as a business don't train our stylists we require them to be trained when they come to us Um, that in and of itself is a business certainly not something we couldn't consider down the line but yeah it's it's a great opportunity for sure the the thing with stylists is that we don't want to retrain anyone they've already put in a lot of time and money you know perhaps their savings just launch this new career so in a way we're allowing those women that possibly you're thinking of to get right in the game and to start building their business you know once once they've already gone through school
0: hey (laughs) So I know that the two of you have been killing it in business, so congrats on all of that. Indeed. My my question is specifically, especially given sort of the, the climate and gender um, right now, has there ever been an example where you feel like being female co-founders has gotten in your way and how did you overcome it? <laughs> how much time
3: do you yeah, have? Yeah, truly,
2: on part two of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I mean we've raised money three times and that's a tremendous challenge when you're two female founders. But I think we've overcome it by like kind of flipping the female thing on its head and thinking like what are the advantages of being a all female founding team? And those advantages are pretty cool. Like we can communicate with each other and work together in a way that I really firmly believe that no two men possibly could. So it's like really just playing to our strengths and never using like the disadvantages as an excuse. We have to reach out to a thousand times more potential investors than two men do. And we'll do it. You know, like we know that fact. That is a fact. And it's probably not going to change anytime soon even with all of the positive momentum that, you know, our cause has been gaining recently. But you do it. Okay, I'll send a thousand more emails than our male co- counterparts. That's fine. But what do we have
2: that they don't? And let's play to that. I mean, we've gotten a lot of responses. And this specifically comes really in the fundraising realm of, you know, this sounds great. We really like you guys as a team. But I'm not your customer. I don't really understand it. And it's like, well, you and, you know, every other VC in this whole freaking town, is, <laughs> it's all old men. So what? where are we going to find our customer? And then on the flip side, some of the female funds that look for female businesses... I think they're a little more interested in, you know, biotech and really, you know, cool, funky, meaty investments, gender non-specific businesses. And we're very much a female founded business for women. And it's been hard to find our our sweet spot for sure. But we've found it through Lauren's blood, sweat and tears.
3: I mean, it's a lot of it's a numbers game and you just have to play more than the average, you know, co-founders. Because if you think about, especially with fundraising, deal flow, they see thousands of deals a week. They have a certain number that they can actually jump on. Are they gonna jump on the thing where they could potentially be a customer and they really intuitively get the industry? Or are they gonna gamble on something that like sounds cool, I like the founders, but like I'll never use this service and you know I don't know anything about beauty. So yeah, just keep plugging away.
1: Thank you guys so much for lunching and learning.
0: Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. Just know I'll be back,
4: so no need a This podcast is produced by me, Cindy Kozma, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and while you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. Special thanks to Jay Mano for our theme music, to our two guests this week, Lauren Katzberg and Julia Carmona, and to Tech Nexus for the recording studio.